Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. In our society, you may have noticed that it's becoming more and more rare for two or three to gather in the name of Jesus Christ, let alone to believe that when we gather together, God is actually in our midst, affecting real change, answering our prayers. But here we are, more than two or three of us gathered here together in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe that when we're gathered together in Jesus' name and in groups beyond this place of worship, that God is in our midst moving our prayers into reality. But the overarching theme of American society is not this. It's been placed on the rugged individualist. The idea that my own self can individually conquer life, manifest my own destiny, One of my go-to books in college was by the great American transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson. That earmarked, tattered, underlined book is still in my library, and it's entitled Self-Reliance. That book title alone was part of leading me to decide that I didn't need church, nor did I really need anybody else. If I just built myself up enough, I could conquer everything. During his term as president, Herbert Hoover coined the term rugged individualist, urging each American in his or her quest to become a totally self-reliant citizen of his or her nation. In October 1929, exactly one year after Hoover's October 1928, rugged individualism speech. The stock market crashed and plunged the United States and in effect the entire world into the Great Depression. Most of you probably heard and maybe lived by the adage, if you want to get something right, do it yourself. And yeah, going it alone is often the simplest and easiest way. Going the road of the rugged, self-determined individualist certainly can reap its short-term benefits. But it's not how Jesus calls us to live. I suffered from this adage for years. Still do at times. Our nation has suffered from the mistake of rugged individualism in the Great Depression, and still, we can't seem to learn the lessons today. In contrast, there have been Christian communities around this nation and this world, and I believe right here at St. Wilfred's, who keep returning to the teachings of Jesus Christ and how he calls us to live in community. He taught that we should not only love one another, but that we need one another. So as I prepared for life in the real world with my self-reliance book under my arm and headed out of college, I started to discover that if I was going to follow Jesus, then I needed to enter my self-reliance steeped self into a Christian community. So I went back to church. And not only did I go back to church, but I decided I'd be part of an intentional Christian community. I was a part of this program called Mercy Works, 
lived with 14 people my age, and we went out into um, this individual, um, or excuse me, um, living facility for at-risk teenagers. We each had our own individual job, and we came back to live with one another day by day at the same place where we worked. We made a covenant with one another that we were going to abide by certain principles. We were going to delve deeper into our spirituality, figure out what it really meant to live in community, seek to live more simply, to do social justice, and to develop professionally. Living together as a group of 14 like-minded individuals with a purpose had the potential to be incredible, life-altering, life-defining, and in fact, it was. In the beginning, we were highly motivated, excited about living together with this common purpose. That is, until a few weeks in, reality set in. We were living together. There were 14 of us, and we had to keep a house clean, and it was a disaster. (laughs) There was one particular housemate who almost gloated about not doing his chores. He never did them, ever. And everyone talked about him, with everyone, except him. (laughs) No one seemed to dare speak to the perpetrator himself. And this was our first community conflict. There are different ways we all deal with conflict, and you're probably going to hear one of the ways you deal with conflict in some of the ways that my housemates dealt with the conflict. When there are 14 of us, we all have a way of doing things, and they all vary. One member of our community, she surrendered her desire for this guy to clean up his act, and she cleaned the kitchen for him when it was his turn. She swept the floor for him when it was his turn. She even went into the boy's bathroom and cleaned up the bathroom for him, all hoping that this might create greater peace in the house. It didn't. There were a couple of people who attempted to resolve the problem by making the problem bigger than the person. They would verbally tear down our untidy housemate. They'd stand up for what they thought was right. They made up all kinds of names they could call him, but all of that was done behind his back, of course. They did it at the expense of our lazy housemate's integrity. They would tear him down and ridicule him, and nothing changed. Most of us in the house didn't even seek to resolve the conflict. We just avoided it. We complained about it amongst ourselves. We never approached our housemate or did anything to ameliorate the conflict. We hoped that our avoidance of this issue would lead to the problem resolving itself. It didn't. Our relationships continued to fester. The rift in our community deepened. We weren't doing what we said we'd come to do together. We were complaining about a mess. There are very few places in the gospel where Jesus commands something to us and then lays out a step-by-step plan for how to do it. The Apostle Paul said, Love one another, repeating the words of Jesus Christ this morning. 
Jesus tells us, store up your treasures in heaven. Follow the narrow path. But he never actually says, here are the steps, one, two, three, of how to do these things. He gives us suggestions, but leaves it to us to figure it out. Well, when it comes to conflict in church community, Jesus gives us the step-by-step, one, two, three plan. And we heard it this morning in the gospel. You don't find it very often. So here here are the steps once again. If there's a conflict in your community, someone has sinned against you, which actually means missed the mark. If someone in your community has missed the mark, it's not as strong of a word as it might sound to our ears. We're not supposed to talk about about them behind their back. We're not supposed to avoid it. We're not supposed to ridicule the person. We're supposed to go to them. Just go to them. Tell them how this is affecting you and the life of the community. And then if they don't hear you, because sometimes they don't, oh yeah, and that first step, you're supposed to do it alone. So you're not supposed to call somebody out in front of everybody else. I think that's an important part of that first step. Number two, if they don't hear you, then you bring another person with you. You work to resolve the conflict through compromise. And if it still doesn't sink in, involve your community. Take the time to collaborate together. Come up with a workable solution to the issue. Those of us who have been or are or hope to be bold enough to become deeply involved in a church community will find out that conflict is inevitable. It's that way in any group. Our families, our workplaces, our friendship circles. In all of these places, storming, chaos, conflict happen. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's no coincidence that these words promising us the presence of the living God in our midst immediately follow Christ's clear instructions to resolve the conflicts among us. So the conflict in our Mercy Works community, it had finally come to a head. It was our messy housemates' turn to take trash duty. And any of you who've lived in a household that's decently large, especially if it's a household of 14, you know that trash duty is one of the most critical of the chores. So the week began and moved forward, and we all knew the trash wasn't going to be taken out, but no one was going to do it. It was his turn. Those trash cans, they filled up. They overflowed onto the floor. Things started to creep and crawl around them, and it stunk. So one of our housemates followed the teachings of Jesus, and actually for the first time, someone approached him face to face. They came to him alone and they said, listen, you've got to do your chores. It stinks in the house. And he admitted, you know what? I've never had to do chores before. My mom always did it. If my mom didn't do it, the maid did it. Someone had always done it for him. His chores in the house, even after that conversation, continued to go undone. So the next step is to get together and compromise, but that step didn't happen in our house. Instead, the trash continued to overflow and stink, and our housemate didn't care. And so someone did 
something very anti-gospel and made the most passive-aggressive move of all. They moved that trash can to the center of our living space, trash all over the floor so no one could walk anywhere without stepping in trash. (laughs) Well, we had to deal with the garbage, literally, (laughs) as a community. And we called a community meeting. We skipped right over the second step and went to the third. At our house meeting, it became clear that he hadn't been doing his chores and that he needed to own up to his responsibilities. But it also became clear that there were a lot of us who weren't doing our chores either. It wasn't just a him problem. It was an us problem. We realized that we had to collaborate together to make living so less frustrating and more workable. And we had to work through that issue as the year continued on. But the big, stinking garbage can in the middle of the room was cleared up. And we realized as we cleaned up that garbage together that we lost sight of why we were living together in community in the first place. We recommitted ourselves to the principles that we'd set forth from the beginning. We reaffirmed our promises to one another. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. We have finally made room for Jesus to be present. We'd gathered in his name, resolving our differences close to the way he taught. And that made space for us to actually pray together. We could talk about ways we could live more simply, how we could help our neighbors and these kids we were working with who struggled with poverty, who were either victims or perpetrators of crimes often. We encountered Jesus and the children we served every single day, and finally we started to hear those stories because there was space to share them with one another. We could revel in the joy of finding Christ in unexpected places, both outside of our house and inside. Real community. It means knowing that as human beings, working together can be a challenge. I think it's also why a lot of people leave the church. It's why families fall apart. It's why friendships dissolve. Why marriages end. We either don't know, or we don't share, or we don't live out the secret to success. Beyond our differences, beyond the inevitable storming and conflicts, lies the depth of community, the experience of the real presence of God, working among us, leading us to life. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Gathering in Jesus' name means keeping our eyes on what really matters, the big stuff, our life together, building the kingdom in harmony. And once we get that, there Christ appears in a way that our eyes are no no longer clouded, and there's room to be transformed. Amen.